Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted, as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest cho um, chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Good morning, Chapel Street. Good morning to Chapel Street online and those who will listen to the message later on the podcast. All right, well, let's bow our heads for a moment as we come to God's word and uh, pray. Our gracious God and our most loving Heavenly Father, Lord, we humbly come before you knowing that your word has power. It has power to save even the wretched, most wretched sinner, which is each of us. And so we thank you for that. We thank you that the gospel goes forth and you call. We thank you that um, it's something that we need not be ashamed of that it reveals the righteousness of God. Dear Lord, it also reveals the wrath of God. And so we pray now for people uh, that may be reached by us to come and know you. Lord, we pray as a body you would build us up and help us with our giftings and our skills to learn how to indeed evangelize. Father, now that we come to your word, I pray that you would help us all to incline our hearts and our minds to give all over, to not drift away or lose a concentration, but to give all over to your word. Lord, as we learned last time, your word is sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces to separate soul and spirit and marrow and bone and joint. So we pray, Lord, it would indeed pierce us today, or that it would speak like a piercing sword into our hearts. 
that we might be encouraged, exhorted, rebuked if necessary, and leave here different for your sake. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to say good morning again to everyone. Um, I want to get straight into the word because I haven't got quite as much time now as I would have had. Uh, but look, my desire this morning through this passage and my hope is to encourage you, to exhort you in the truth that we know, in the realities of Christ, in the realities of the cross, because the walk of faith isn't easy, is it? It's a hard walk. We, we know that scripture tells us it will be so. And sometimes we need to hang on tight to what we've heard, to what we've professed, confessed, proclaimed, learnt, so that we can persevere. And perseverance in faith is so important. Yesterday's faith is yesterday's. Today's faith is the faith that counts. There are those that go into heaven on their deathbed. That's the faith that counts. That's the bit when you will enter into the throne place where God is the Holy of Holies and you'll be judged. So continuing in faith, perseverance of the saints is so important. And this passage, which I'm going to read for us again, tells us that we can hold fast our confession we can hang on to our faith tells us that we have a confidence because there's a great high priest so i'm just going to read the first three verses again turn back with me if you will into your bibles in hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 the writer says since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens jesus the son of god let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive grace and mercy and find grace, sorry, to help in time of need. As I've already said, one day everyone will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Everyone will stand in the Holy of Holies. You don't need to find your way there. You will be taken there, whether you like it or not. No one can bypass it as we pass from this life to the next or if the Lord returns in the meantime. When we get there, I want you to know that no one will live without having their sins paid for. No one will be able to stand without having their sins paid for. And the world has no idea about this. The world has a confidence, doesn't it? A brashness, if you will, an arrogance. But its confidence is misplaced. And here we have a confidence in Christ. 
The world's confidence starts with me. I listen to various sports from time to time, and they're often interviewing the sports people, sports people, the sports men and women, the athletes. And they say, you know, how do you do this? And they often just say, well, I just believe in myself. I have a confidence in my ability and I'll be able to do it. And sometimes people have a confidence in their position or status in life. They have a confidence in the things that they have. These are different kinds of confidences. And we're told in order to achieve great things in this world, and we need to be confident people. Not so with the Bible. Our confidence is very different. And people often say, those that maybe are agnostic or believe that God really exists, that everything will be okay for them because God will just forgive them. God will overlook their sins because they know they're not perfect. I don't know anyone really. Well, I have known one person suggest that they're perfect. It didn't last long. But the world knows that they're not perfect. And yet they think that somehow their sin is too small and God will just overlook that. And you might say, well, that's because they have a small perspective about who they are. And that would be right. But I want you to know they have a small perspective about who God is. They have a small idea about how holy God is. You see, the measure that we get judged by isn't ours, is it? It's his, it's God's. And that measure is utterly holy. I love what Habakkuk says, a little verse at the beginning there in chapter one, the prophet says, Lord, are you not from everlasting? Are you not from everlasting? My God, my holy one, you'll never die. Your eyes are too pure to look upon evil. You cannot tolerate sin. The prophet gets it, doesn't he? He gets how big and how holy God is. Your eyes are too pure to look upon evil. You cannot tolerate sin. So what about our confidence as Christians? We have to have a confidence. We're asked here to persevere in our faith, to hold fast our confession. That's what it means. And where's our confidence? We come and gain some kind of confidence by gathering together. Well, I guess there is something in that, but that's not where our confidence should lie. Do we gain confidence by being a part of things in church, standing and leading and opening God's word or doing the music or leading the, the prayer night or cutting the grass, whatever? Is that where we gain our confidence in Christ? Or is that our response to the confidence we need to have in Christ? And Hebrews, I think, answers this perfectly for us. It's the word of God. It will do that. And I don't want to bore you by going over the same things because you'll get fed up with it. But so far in Hebrews, we have looked at the supremacy of Christ. We've seen a comparison with Jesus and Moses, Jesus being better, Moses is a servant in God's house, Jesus is a son over God's house, and we've heard warnings. And the first warning was to pay much closer attention to the word. 
to what we've heard, to what the apostles had brought, which we've got in the Bible. That's what it is. Lest we drift away and neglect so great a salvation. See the picture there of the warning, the need to persevere. And the second warning was around hard-heartedness. Don't have a hard heart towards God. When you hear his voice, recognize that you need to fear God, remember? That we need to actually exhort one another not to sin. There's a place in the church to do that. And that the word of God is, as I've already prayed, sharper than a two-edged sword. So labor to admit the word of God into our lives. And at the end of that chapter, that section, I should say, he says, strive, strive to enter thy rest. Now, that does not mean work harder, okay? Because working harder isn't the thing that saves you. We know that. Works don't do that. It means what comes next. Hold fast your confession. Strive on. Press on for the upward call of Christ. Can you hear Scripture saying this all the way? Everywhere it says this. Perseverance. And in this section, he asks us to persevere, to hold fast our confession. And as I said, it's so important. Please do not make the mistake of saying, well, on such and such a date, 19 canteen, back in the past, I made a profession to Christ, so I'm saved. It's today's faith that matters. And so in this section, we hear about an Old Testament role and function the high priest and we learn that jesus isn't the high priest he is the great high priest and you might say look why do we need to kind of keep going back to these old testament pictures and what we call types and models and the reality of that is that we can't really understand in at least in a more full sense what the new testament is saying if we don't understand what the old testament is saying and my analogy for this is that uh, in the past, at least from time to time, my children, uh, at least two of them, uh, would invite me to go to the movies. And I realized after a while that was their mechanism for getting me to pay for them, which is fine as a dad. I'm more than happy to do that. But one such movie that, in fact, Lydia invited me to was Jurassic World. World? And she said to me, listen, Dad, this is a great movie, and I quite like the idea of prehistoric animals, God's creation, eating people. But uh, she said to me, look, Dad, if you're going to understand this movie, you need to watch the previous movies. And I was like, what? Are you kidding? No, you need to watch them all, Dad, because it won't make sense when you come to this particular film. And I didn't watch them all, but Lydia very graciously told me the story. And it made no more sense than it would have done, I think. But you get the point, right? The ones that come before, the types, the models, the figures of the past, the Old Testament, are there to help us understand more about the New Testament. In actual fact, they point specifically to Christ. I've got a book back home, and it's called Christ in All the Scriptures. It's about this big, and it's just references from the Old Testament to Christ. There are over 200 prophecies in the Old Testament concerning Christ, and they all come true in him. 
the old covenant, Moses, the Exodus, Melchizedek, who we will learn about because he's talked more about later uh, when we get to it. The temple, man, just the tabernacle and the temple. Explore and understand how those things work and what they refer to. It's amazing. The sacrificial system, the atonement, the day of atonement, the law, the legal curse, the spotless lamb, the tree of life. You could go on and on and on. But these are all Old Testament types and figures, models that all point to Christ. The word of God says that they're a shadow of the things that were to come. And here, Hebrews directs us to look at one of them. And we must, as we look at it, see how it points to Christ. So we should pay, shouldn't we, much closer attention, do you agree, to what the Word says? And I want you to understand that this is important because we're talking about continuing in the faith, perseverance, holding fast our confession. And that's what we want to get out of this. How then do I hold fast my confession by looking at something in the Old Testament? And I want you to understand that there's a link here between holding fast our confession, continuing in the faith, and our confidence to enter the holy place because Jesus is a great high priest. Do you understand that? There's a solid link between continuing in faith because of the confidence we have because Jesus is the great high priest. And I want us to understand that because without that, none of us will be encouraged. So I want to look very quickly then at what the Old Testament says about the high priest and then kind of compare that to Jesus as a great high priest and have a look at the similarities and the differences because there are important differences which is the thing that makes him great. So firstly, I want to say that the principal task of the high priest in the Old Testament is to make the sacrifice or bring the sacrifice into the Holy of Holies for the sin of the people. It's a system with a person who acts and does something to bring this about. It obtains grace and forgiveness, importantly, by the shedding of blood of an animal. And having that animal's life, if you will, and its death be the sacrificial being that sits between us, or the Israelites, I should say, and their sin and God. A life for a life. The wages of sin are, and so to pay for sin, something has to die. It's as simple as that. It's an Old Testament model, and it's real. Well, how does this happen? Well, first of all, we need to know there's a temple. Originally, there was a tabernacle, a tent that was moving around the wilderness, and eventually under Solomon, uh, after David's direction, uh, the temple is built, and it's enormous. If you've ever looked at it, it's absolutely colossal. And it has lots of different components and compartments and walls and so on. And one part of it is known as the Holy of Holies. And that's where God resides. And in there is the Ark of the Covenant, the altar, the cherubim, sitting on the top, and various other elements and implements. And that section, sometimes called the most holy place, is separated from everyone else, even the priests, by a thick curtain. 
And I understand the curtain, curtain's this kind of thick. Not the kind of curtain we pull across our windows at night. You can't see through it and nothing can get out from the other side. And that's the point. You have to be separated from God because you will be judged if you're in the presence of God as a sinner. So there's the Holy of Holies, there's the temple, and no one can go in there except the high priest once a year on the Day of Atonement to take in the sacrificial blood from the animal. But before he goes in there, there's a few things that need to happen. Number one, he needs to take a bath, so to speak. He needs to get washed and cleansed in pure water, you might call holy water, that's been sanctified. So he physically needs to wash. Then he has to put on some special clothing. There's lots of it, but I just want us to talk and know about one thing. And that's uh, what's called the ephod. It's kind of like a, an apron that has to hang on the priest. And it's got a breastplate and it's got epaulets. I think that's the right word. Little uh, shoulder straps, if you will. And on the breastplate are 12 precious stones. Each stone refers to a tribe of the Israel, of Israel. And on the shoulders, there are six stones on this shoulder and six precious stones on that shoulder, also referring to the tribes of Israel. And the, the image here, is that the high priest is going in to the Holy of Holies to make sacrifice for the sin of Israel by carrying Israel. See the image on his body, holding him, holding Israel, as it were, on his person, carrying the sin into the most holy place. And before he can go in, there's one last thing he has to do. He has to make a sacrifice for himself because he's a sinner. He's washed himself. He's got the vestments on, but he also needs to make a sacrifice and put blood on himself. And there's a, a ritual around that, how that happens. And then he sacrifices in the case of the day of atonement, a bull. And uh, there are other sacrifices. I'm sure, you know, there are goats and sheep and even doves. And he goes into the Holy of Holies through the curtain. He goes in, and he does a whole load of things, but one of the things he does is he sprinkles the blood on the altar. He's saying to God, here is the sacrifice for the sin of the people. And when it's done, and the sin is paid for, the character of God's holiness is upheld. The people are forgiven. He has to do it again next year. And again, and again, and again. In fact, the priests sacrifice every day. Do you know that? Every day, animals are being slaughtered and the blood becomes that sacrificial component for the sin of the people. It doesn't stop goes on and on and on. God stopped it now. He stopped it now. It never ends. So that's the Old Testament type and figure of the uh, office, if you will, and person of the high priest. Let's turn our attention to the great high priest. And it's the same role that Jesus is taking. 
And uh, if any of you are really clued up, uh, you'll know that Jesus isn't a Levite, so he can't be a high priest. But that's where Melchizedek uh, comes in as a little taster for what we will do in a few weeks' time to look at how that works. But the job that Jesus does is the same, except it's better, much better. I want you now, if you will, in your minds to take everything I've just told you about the temple, the sacrificial model, the high priest, the sacrifices, the blood, the sin, everything, and just squash it down into a small matchbox. Makes sense? Probably not. In your mind, right? Just put it on the table. And I want you to do that because what we're about to explore is not that small system. It is a cosmic-sized system. It is a system of sacrifice that spans the entire universe. So our high priest, our great high priest, is doing the same thing, but at a universal level, a big level. Don't have a small great high priest here, right? The Old Testament ones were small, but this one is huge. Firstly, I want you to know that Jesus didn't need to wash ceremonially. He didn't need to get that holy water and wash himself with it because he was sinless. He didn't need to be cleansed to make this great high priestly work happen. He's without sin. He can come before God on his own merit, can't he? He is God. <laughs> he doesn't need to prove himself. He is God. He's sinless. We learn from the, the text that we're looking at here that he passed through the heavens. He can identify with us because he suffered and he was tempted in every respect, but without sin. So he doesn't need to cleanse himself and he also doesn't need to put on garments. In fact, He's stripped of them. He's beaten, he's scourged, he's stripped naked and taken to the cross. You're saying, hang on a second, is this to do with the great high priest? Absolutely it is. This is exactly what the great high priest is doing in this case. And the holy of holies that he enters into isn't the temple made by hands. It's the temple before God universally. The great throne room. Where the judge sits, can it be any bigger? No. He's going to the real throne room, not just the model where Christ, where God was in the temple. And just like the Old Testament high priest, he's the one that brought the sacrifice. Here I come, Father. I'm the great high priest. I'm bringing the sacrifice. But unlike the high priests in the Old Testament, he is the sacrifice. What a concept. It's the great high priest who brings it. And who does he bring? Himself. Himself. He's the one who is the one sacrificing, and he is the sacrifice. And listen, he didn't just carry the sin of Israel on his shoulders, did he? He carried the sin of the world for all time. the biggest bit he didn't need to do it again didn't need to do it again his payment was enough 
Hebrews 10 says, every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down the right hand of God. Why did he sit down? Because he'd finished. In fact, isn't that what he says before he dies? It's finished. That's what John records. It's finished. What's finished, Jesus? The sacrifice, the judgment. Now comes death. The wages of sin are death. Christ never sinned, but he took the sin of the world on his shoulders. It's finished. And on that cross, Jesus, the great high priest, bore the weight. Can you imagine the weight of the world's sin and offered the Father himself as the sacrifice? And after the judgment on that cross from his Father, be clear about that, the Father is judging the Son for our sin. After that judgment, John tells us, Jesus says, finished sat down the right hand of the majesty on high why was that enough payment why did it not need to be done again because he was sinless he was god you see the value of a bull actually in ancient times is quite quite a big value but it's not enough to continually pay for the sin once for all. It has to be done continually. But when Christ comes and offers up himself, he is the most valuable, infinitely valuable person in the universe. He's the creator. Just get your mind around this for a second. He spoke and you existed. I existed. He spoke and the sun came into appearance. The stars appeared. They all bear his glory, don't they? And he comes into that creation. As the great high priest, I'm more valuable than a bull. More valuable than a thousand bulls, than a million people. I am the most valuable in the entire cosmos. Get a big picture of this great high priest. It's finished. And that, that's why Jesus is the great high priest. Amen? What a great high priest. The final one, no need for any more. He finished the work. Some people say he finished the mission. He's still coming, though. So I don't know if the whole mission's finished, right? But that part of it, the great high priest, the sacrificial death of Christ on the cross for the world's sin is finished. And through that, he opened up to us a new and living hope. And that, folks, is why you and I can have confidence when we come to enter that throne room because of this great high priest and so that is the thing that needs to drive our faith when we lose our faith or our faith wavers we need to remember this jesus is a great high priest he went into the holy of holies what happened to the curtain by the way when christ died the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom because there's no separation. The Jews must have been humiliated 
when that happened. But that's why we can have confidence to enter the blazing throne room of God and live because he through that has made a new way for us to go we don't need to go through the old covenantal system the old sacrificial system we're now in a new covenant we have Christ as our sacrifice and so persevere <laughs> persevere keep going your faith's gonna hit hard times it's probably hitting hard times now for all I know. Mine is. Mine goes up and down. Persevere. Continue in faith. Hold fast. I love that language. Hold on to your faith. Your confession. What's your confession? Christ died for me. He's the Lord. He's God. Because you're going to stand. And the judgment's going to come. And Christ will be the one that you plead his blood for you strive so as we close and you consider your confidence i want you to reflect for a moment we're going to, i'm going to ask you to close your eyes in a second and i'm going to read just allow the scripture to melt you to drink drink it in and to pour it over you but I want you to reflect on your faith. Where is it at right now? Right now. Not how was your week? Where is it at right now? You might feel great. <laughs> you might not. I don't know. But is where your faith is now a measure of where it's going to be tomorrow? It's quite nice to have faith, frankly, in church. I, I love it. Do you love it? I love meeting with the saints. What's tomorrow going to be like? Reflect on it. Reflect on it now. Reflect on your confidence. Do you have confidence in Christ? Not your confidence. His. Because you're going to need to persevere. I don't think anyone here thinks that hard times aren't coming. In other countries, it's happening full on right now. And in different ways, perhaps it's happening to us. But you're going to need to persevere. So I want you to reflect on your faith and on the confidence you have in Christ because of this great high priest. And I want to ask you now, just close your eyes if you would, please. And I'll pray at the end of this just to draw near to God as he speaks. Just close our eyes. Brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled clean from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who promised 
is faithful. Friends, please persevere in your faith. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our most loving Heavenly Father, Lord, help us to see the Lord Jesus as our great high priest. Help us to understand and uh, plumb the depths of the cross, the mission that he completed. Your word says, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. How will we ever repay you, Lord? Father, for what's ahead of each one of us, and you know, you know each day, I pray that you would teach us what it means to persevere in faith, to hold fast to our confession of Jesus because of the confidence we have to boldly come into your presence because of his sacrifice. Help us, Lord, in this week to hear John the Baptist, Lord, and even to say ourselves, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And all God's people said, Amen.